Our scripture reading today is from uh, Daniel chapter 3. It will be on the screen. You can also turn there. Um, Chances are you've heard this story. If you grew up in the church, you definitely heard it in Sunday school somewhere along the way. Um, But when I read it from the adult Bible, which is not what we use in Sunday school usually with this story, just take note. Um, Some things will stick out to you. I'll point them out as we go through the message. Um, Maybe I should just say this, because between Ruthann and Brandon, this has been a a blue Christmas kind of a service, which is awesome. I'm glad you did that. The story's kind of funny, so we're kind of shifting gears. Right? I just wanted to warn you ahead of time. My deep, deep memory, actually, of, of when my dad died many years ago was that right after a lot of crying around the funeral, we went home and laughed our faces off. Um, there's, there's a connection between those two emotions. Thank you. I always feel like I'm in trouble when he comes in from over there. <laughs> That's why I hide on this side. Thank you. Okay, Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horns, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, 
we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that, were, that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the, <coughs> that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. That's one of those stories where you're kind of glad I read fast, right? Because it kind of repeats over and over again. Did you notice that a couple of times, just a little bit? Um, you get to read along. The original hearers of this story, the speaker had to memorize it. It was probably his job to memorize that story. And so having that repetition in there kind of gave him a pattern. But also when you, when you name that many people, you're kind of given the impression that pretty much everybody was there. All right. I don't know why you guys give me this thing. Okay, there it is. Daniel 3. Does anyone know who Shack, Rack, and Benny are? VeggieTales, that's right. So my good friend Tim Mackey, who I've never met yet, but I listen to him a lot, he says those talking vegetables, they get some things right, but there's a whole lot more. These are actually adult stories, and there are much deeper messages that we need to look on. So Shack, Rack, and Benny will teach you don't give in to peer pressure, don't eat the chocolate bunny. One, because it makes your stomach sick, and two, because you're giving in to peer pressure. But we're going to have to go a little deeper if you actually want to understand the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you notice how many times I had to say their names too? Just like, you know there's pronouns, right? You can say they, these three. There you go. That's how these stories work. So what we're going to do 
I'm probably doing this wrong. It's probably me. We're going to look at the context first. And the context is that in chapter 1 of, of Daniel, um, we have these Babylonian boy wonders. So there's four guys, Daniel and then the three we keep mentioning here. Um, and they, they decide when they're taken to Babylon, they're given really good jobs because they're talented people. Um, they decide we're going to keep to the rules of our God, basically, right? And, and so the whole book is actually about how do you follow God when the world around you wants you to do otherwise, wants you to play by its rules, right? Probably relevant to us, probably relevant anywhere you could be at any time, right? And these four do an amazing job of eating just vegetables and just doing things within the boundaries of what they believed was most important, right? And they were blessed in that process. And then in chapter 2, we have a dream of a statue, which Daniel interprets. And you see, I write the word image after that statue because, well, because that's a better word. And I'll tell you why. So this image is actually an image of gold, head, um, silver, then bronze, then iron, then clay. And it gets smashed by a rock. And Daniel interprets the dream because obviously you all know what that dream means, right? That's amazing. He gets this gift of interpreting dreams, and he's told that the gold is Babylon, the silver is the Medes and Persians, and then you got Greece, and then you got Rome, right? And that Jesus is going to be this rock that comes along. Um, I'm over-interpreting, but and knocks it all down and forms this eternal kingdom. Cool. You don't have to know that whole part. That's just a bit of data. The image, and the word is used image in there, not statue, actually, it's the same word used in the very first chapter of the Bible when the image we're supposed to look at is the fact that you, me, every human being is the image of God. And when we're told that we're the image of God, we're told this, be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth and have dominion over it and, and live in this land, God says, as my image bearers, as my rulers, as my kings, if you will, over creation. And what happens with all these power stories in the Bible is that other people make images, and we're going to obviously see that again today, and these images are people saying, never mind God, I'm going to do the op, I'm going to turn this around. God made me in his image, I'm going to return the favor, I'm going to make him in my image, right? I'm going to make a statue of a human being, and it's going to rule over the world and have power, and I'll let God participate if he wants to, right? And this is the human condition. We love to do this. I know you're not going to admit it, because I can do, I learned a great thing from Brandon today. If you agree with me, you know, keep your hands down. We do this all the time where we decide that um, I want in this world things to work out in my favor, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to come up with a plan, and because I'm religious, I'm going to include God by saying, God, please bless the plan that I've actually already came up with and paid for, by the way. So thank you for your help, right? The whole idea of actually letting God guide and lead and take that forefront kind of a position is, is an ongoing challenge for human beings. So again, these stories continue to be um, relevant. So, this image in this chapter, what is it? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, so we know what it's made of. It's 60 cubits high, that's 90 feet in English, and six cubits wide, which would be nine feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. 
So I don't know if you image things or imagine things when you're listening to stories, but what do you think, what do you think it was? What do you picture when you see this? Anyone? Him, Nebuchadnezzar. That's a decent guess. Then I thought I'd do a bit of math on this. So say I'm two meters tall. Then, right, so six is one-tenth of 60. If I'm two meters tall, then an image of me that's two meters tall would be 20 centimeters wide. Maybe this way. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> On a good day. So possibly, but the right answer is we don't know. Right? And the fun thing about Bible stories is if they don't tell you details, because you know they like details, right? When they tell you all seven kinds of leaders that were there, they're not afraid of details. But when they don't tell you a detail, that means it's probably not that important, right? Or it's actually intentionally left wide open for us. So he's setting up, and we're going to learn later as, as, as the story goes on, this represents his gods and this represents him. So it's, it's sort of this mixed kind of a thing. It's some sort of statue. It's got gold covering at least, right? And he expects them um, to worship it. Yeah, I'm reconnecting, so thanks. All right, then he then... Summon the satraps, prefects, and all those things. I read them many times. You got the point, right? Everybody from all the provinces, he wants this to be world worship. But um, notice what he has. Yeah, sorry. He just explains it in the next one. Next slide, please. He gives us three explanations. Then the herald loudly proclaims, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. So when you have all seven of those named leaders plus all the other provincial um, leaders, they're really the people that have been conquered by Babylon. He's saying, I'm God of the world, you're all going to worship me. And so this idea of reverse imaging, where you decide God's going to be in your image and people are going to do what you say, right, gets played out here by this Nebuchadnezzar. Now, do we ever do this kind of a thing? Does this have any relevance to the way you live? Do we ever play music and expect everybody to act in the exact same worshipful fashion? Ever seen that? I know you're thinking the worship service. I'm not actually thinking that one. Outside of a worship service, when a certain piece of music plays, does everybody stand up? Oh, yeah. Oh, Canada. Yeah. Give me louder. Hallelujah chorus. Oh, the hallelujah chorus. Yeah, there you go. That's, there's probably lots more, but we're going to go with Oh, Canada because it fits with my message. Do we have a very tall tower anywhere in sight from here on a clear day across the lake? Just being subtle. With a national name to it. CN, Canadian National. I don't know if you all remember that's what that actually stands for. Right? And why, why is the CN Tower, when it was built anyways, why was it the tallest in the world? Why was that necessary? Yeah, because otherwise people in BC can't hear. You know that doesn't work like that, right? It doesn't make it to BC. Why did it have to be the tallest? Because we could. Because we could. Yeah, pride. Right? So this, this national identity thing, and those, those are kind of fun. And the beauty is we're Canadian, right? So we know we're just peace-loving people, and we're really lucky that we live just north of the States and that we're part of the British Empire because the two latest historically most powerful countries in the world have protected us all of our existence so we don't have to get into this we can just blame them it's amazing <laughs> but we do live under that 
reality, right? You are part of the British Empire that did some kind of Nebuchadnezzar-like nasty things in order to get us this land. We understand that stuff, right? And so this dynamic of what does it look like to follow God under a foreign power is always a difficult question, right? And that's what the question of this story is about. When you got a Nebuchadnezzar in charge, how do you respond and what do you do? Next slide, please. Kind of jumped the gun. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of, God, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, this becomes funny because if you say it too many times, you get all confused, and zither's just funny anyways, right? You just picture someone going hither and thither playing their zither. <laughs> I did grow up with such a doctor. Um, but what in the world does that mean? Like, what song were they playing? So you have three wind instruments and three string instruments, so it's just a small orchestra, I guess. I don't know why I'm talking about music. I don't know much about it, but, um, but it doesn't tell us what song. It just says, and all kinds of music. Does that mean anytime you hear any music, you have to fall down? And, and notice the worship, right? It looks like this. That's how you worship. Get down. It's like someone just shot you. It's fall down. It's not, take a moment of silence. Find a comfortable spot. No, it's fall down. Because this is real business. This is your life at stake because you know the outcome, right? If you don't, you're going in a blazing furnace. Now, what kind of a nut bar decides that the best way to have people worship you is to threaten them by burning them alive? So when Tim Mackey tells these stories, he brings us back to the 1930s to a fellow whose name I can't quite remember, but he was connected with Adolf Hitler and he planned Hitler Youth. You know, the Hitler Youth were taught that for you to serve Germany is to serve the kingdom of God, and for you to worship the Fuhrer, Hitler, is to worship God. That sounds sick enough for you? That's less than a century ago. That's our world, right? There's more of these kinds of stories along the way. This reality that there are forces out there, some are a whole lot more subtle than Hitler, right? Trying to push us into a place where we're going, hey, I'm just following orders. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, right? In the book 1984, George Orwell's book, um, they do it by force, right? And a lot of people have commented ever since 1984 has passed, and, you know, we weren't overrun by the communists by then, that an actually more powerful way to get people to follow powers of evil in this world is subtly do it by blessing them with material wealth and all kinds of freedoms, and then actually follow a lot faster than if you try and force them to, right? If someone told us, you have to worship Satan, we go, no, 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 no. If someone just subtly gave us all the kinds of things that we have in this world, we might just slip along and go, oh, I didn't know that was a problem. All right? Now, here's the really challenging part of doing a sermon on Daniel 3 about political powers and not necessarily following them and so on. I could really just start a fight among us by naming some very specific things that I think are, and then some of you are going to go, no, 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 that's not the thing, it's these things. This is actually really tough stuff. God doesn't give us the playbook of exactly which kind of political power we're supposed to be following. 
right? There are really good dictators who've lived throughout history, right? There's really bad democracy going on in our world, right? And then we're not gonna get to left and right and all that, we're gonna leave that nicely alone for now. Fight about that at home for Christmas dinner. You're welcome. <laughs> Who all? At this time, some astrologers, also called Chaldeans, I think astrologers is probably better, but it's very interesting that Chaldeans is the direct actual translation, came forward and they denounced the Jews. Now, not every single Jew was in a leadership position at this time, but when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the named ones who we see get in trouble, when they get in trouble, they are representing all of their people, right? What they're doing kind of gets everybody, excuse me, everybody dragged into this kind of a mess. Next uh, slide. So Nebuchadnezzar says to them, uh, or no, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. So it's you, Nebuchadnezzar, your person, your gods, and the image of gold. So these three things together are sort of the person and his politics and his religion all tied up into one, all those things you're not supposed to mess with all at the same time, right? Um, so the story has this sort of playful, repetitive tone to it, but make no mistake, they are talking about one sick individual in this Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's all the horrible people of history all kind of tied up into one. And you can see that in this slide. Who does he think he is? If you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Hear what he's saying there? What God could possibly be stronger than me, he's saying, right? That's the megalomania at its best. Then a clear, calm, clear, nakando. That's an Italian word, which means no can do. Well, it took a little while, eh? It's just no can do stuck together. Finally, one of my jokes actually worked, so I'm taking that home. I'm taking that to bank. I'm going home now. See ya. So, you gotta love this answer. Imagine this, right? Because you're getting the picture on this Nebuchadnezzar guy. He's crazy. Right? He's got the flaming fire going already. He doesn't mind burning people. And he says, fall down and worship, or are you going in the fire? Yeah, I hate to break it to you, Nebuchadnezzar, but uh, we don't even need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Can you imagine standing up to that kind of force and just going, yeah, I'm gonna have to take a hard pass on that, Neb, because uh, I can call you Neb, right? <laughs> the God we serve is able to deliver us. And this, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods. Another one to cross stitch and put on your wall or put on a sticky note, right? This reality, one of simply doing this peacefully and quietly, saying, "I'm I'm going to serve God." If you're going to ask me, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to serve God, right? They don't start some sort of fanfare. They don't go crazy in the streets. They just simply say, we're going to serve God because he can deliver us, and we believe he's better than any gods or people who think they're gods. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we still know he's the one we need to worship. And that's, that's that hard part, right? That as our friend Iona is not getting the answers we want her to get, we're called to believe God's actually meeting her in that hospital room right now. 
And I'm guessing that, I'm hoping that we get that chance on the other side of this piece of the journey to hear from Iona her testimony, because I know Iona well enough to know it'll be beautiful and it'll be powerful that God might be meeting her right in this blazing furnace. We don't know those things, we don't get those things until we get to the other side. Then some Hebrew humor, which you won't catch, so I'll help you catch it. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious and his attitude towards them changed. So you're reading in English and you get these words and you're thinking, okay, the guy was an angry mess the entire time in the story and now his attitude's changed and he's an angry mess. How did it change? Well, guess what? There's a Hebrew word you need to know. Do you all love it when pastors pull out their books and tell you about Hebrew words that you don't know and you can't check? I'm giving you the tool right here. This is a, it's called an analytical key to the Old Testament. Good nighttime reading. What it is, is it's the Hebrew Bible with the English words right behind it for people like me who only pretend they can read Hebrew and need an English translation. Tells me that the word here for his attitude is really his image. So remember in Genesis 1, you're created the image of God. In Daniel 2, the, there's an image in the dream. Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image. So let's just go with image is important in this story. Is that pretty, pretty obvious? All right. And if you don't believe me, listen to Tim Mackey for an hour. He'll tell you how important image is. And so it's the image of his faith. Here, this image bearer of God who set himself up as God himself, right? Creating God in his own image, can't control his image, his face. You see that? So this guy setting himself up as God can't control his own image, his own face, his own response, right? Okay, in Hebrew, that's funny. This whole story is actually making fun of, the, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Because everything he tries to do kind of goes sideways along the way. And that's that same thing of, of being able to stand there as the three friends do and go, nice that you think you're in charge, Nebuchadnezzar, but we kind of happen to know who's in charge, so we don't need to fight with you. We don't even need to defend ourselves. God's got this, all right? So some important details. See, they do like details, so when they skip them, there's a reason. He makes it seven times hotter. Never understood how hot you really need something to be for that, but okay. And then the strongest soldiers for these guys who weren't fighting back, right? You just feel Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's in a rage, right? So he's going crazy and doing all kinds of things that are completely unnecessary, because like with most of our anger, it's all about us and our stuff coming out. It has nothing to do with what's actually going on in the other person. They're wearing their robes, trousers, and turbans because there's no time to, to change them, but also so that we can see later what happens to those robes. And it's so urgent, says it right there, and the furnace was so hot, and the flames of the fire killed the soldiers. Classic of a Nebuchadnezzar-type crazy leader. His servants don't matter, right? What is warfare but somebody with a lot of power going, hey, you guys, go in there and fight. I know some of you are going to die, but that's the cost of me getting what I want, right? May I summarize war like that, right? And then these three men, firmly tied, don't forget that detail, fell into the blazing furnace, right? So you see a God hand in here because after the people who are trying to put them in the fire die from the heat of the fire, they still fall in because it's important for the story that they actually get into the fire, all right? Next slide. Then God shows up. Nebuchadnezzar jumps up. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound because the ropes came from them, so they fell off, of course, and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. 
I don't know exactly what that look is. It's one of those details, again, I'd love to see. But it basically says God showed up in some way, shape, or form as that fourth person standing in that fire with them saying, you trusted me to the point of being allowed, allowing yourselves to, instead of worshiping, being thrown into this fire, and I'm with you. I'm meeting you here. I've got you. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I love that last detail. They just went right back to work because they didn't even stink like smoke, right? Powerful stuff. Next slide. And then here's interestingly impulsive, in my opinion. Therefore, I decree, says Nebuchadnezzar, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces of their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Back down a bit, Nebuchadnezzar. Were we asking for this? Right? Okay, we're, we're killing everybody in this direction. No, no, that's not... Okay, we're killing everybody in this direction. The guy is nuts. Right? This is what power does to people when they have all kinds of power like this and, well, we're going to change the rules then. Then we're going to go in this direction. It's just making fun in a scary kind of way of what happens. Because the book of Daniel, by the way, is about when human beings take on the role of gods, they become beasts. Right? They become beasts. They become like wild animals. Right? That's what this man is all about. All right, so God shows up in the furnace. I'm not promising you, pray to God, and you'll never have to face any challenges in your life, right? We are recognizing, and we keep saying that, that's part of our testimony as community. As you face challenges, God will show up in that fiery, difficult, challenging place. Trust him in that, and he will meet you there. And then resist while blessing, because you know the job of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel was to bless Babylon by being its very organized leaders and rulers, right? They made that place work. That preaches. That's what this is all about. Our job is to bless this country as best as we possibly can, right? But at the same time, to say, yeah, but we're going to do that within the bounds of what it means to follow and worship our God, right? So if someone says to you, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus, have I told you how I do that one? I say, yeah, but can I talk about my best friend who's completely transformed my life, who I pray to on a regular basis? Oh, yeah, you can do that. That's allowed. Right? You will say, I am going to follow Jesus. You can't stop me from that piece. That part's simple for me. Right? Now, this image thing, it's a Bible theme, not just a Daniel theme, obviously. And so we get to after Christmas, And Paul writes about Jesus, and he says this, the sun is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God, become flesh, taking on our image, our form, and walking among us, right? And he talks about his powers and how he takes power over thrones and powers and authorities, right? Again, same thing that happened in Daniel. Um, he's the head of the church, the beginning of the firstborn, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Again, that's the Christmas story. And then through him to reconcile all things to himself, through him to bring us all back into peace, into connection, into healthiness, 
And he did this by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How does God show up in the brokenness of our world and our lives? By going to the cross, by entering our world, by meeting us, you know, the apostles keep saying, he descended into hell. He went into the blazing furnace, all right? And so this whole story is preparing us for the fact that Jesus is also coming. And like Daniel's friends, right, we're going to be met in that furnace place where God says, I'm with you. I've got this. I've absorbed it. You are not going to be harmed by anything that happens in this world. My kingdom will prevail. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us anticipate the coming of Emmanuel. Now, so far this year, I don't think I've said to you that we're supposed to be disappointed if we make it to next Monday. You all know that, right? Because Advent is about the coming of Jesus. And we all know that we're celebrating that he did come, the baby, but we're also anticipating that he comes again, right, to make all things new, the end of the story. And so it'll be fun if we get to next Monday. It'll be better. It'll be better. If the God who's already met us in the furnace says, we're not going to do that deal anymore. No more Nebuchadnezzars, no more Hitlers, no more world powers trying to undermine the goodness of what it means to let people live the way they're meant to live. It'd be beautiful if God came back in Jesus Christ and said, now the dwelling of God is with men, and there'll be no more tears, and no more crying, there'll be no more passing away, there'll be no more brokenness, there will be light, and there will be life. Let's pray for that. Jesus, thank you that you came down. Thank you for your promise that you will come again. Lord, as we live in this world and battle what it means to figure out how to obey you, even when there's all kinds of pressures in other directions, we pray for wisdom. We pray for open conversation. We pray for your truth and your inspiration. We also pray, Lord Jesus, deliver us from that battle. Come again. Come restore all things. Come make your kingdom come and your will be done in all of its fullness. We pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.